0: forget that there's just a few days left in the News Talk STL conservative Christmas giveaway promotion. I got to tell you, this is one like I have not seen and I don't remember one this rich with uh, a whole Santa's bag full of goodies and Leah's. uh, Leah, don't quit. Don't quit the show just so you can enter. I, I know you want a lot of these gifts. But, you, you know, and you're ineligible if you work here. Please don't do that. But I know Leah's excited over it. We'll talk about that. But you just log on to News Talk STL. Go to the website, NewstalkSTL.com, and you can enter as often as you want. And then uh, four times a day during uh, the Mike in the Morning show. And, of course, Vic and uh, Ken uh, follow that, followed by Columbo and Katie, and then uh, Jones and Arps in the afternoon. Uh, there's a giveaway uh, once during each of those shows, about 10 after the top of the hour, various hours. I'm not going to tell you which one because I want you to listen all the time like I do, except when I take a teeny, teeny break to listen to a Christmas music. Because sometimes some of the news coming out of the national news feed, and yes, even our local news feed, just infuriates me. And, um, oh, did I mention they're talking about cash for Everyone, well, we talked about it in the first hour. Freak aldermen are talking about cash for every what free cash payments in St. Louis. That infuriates me. But anyway, I keep it on News Talk STL. And then you can click on the conservative, uh, you can go down to the conservative uh, giveaway there with a picture of uh, old St. Vic, we'll call him. And um, I wonder if Vic would call himself a saint. The next time he's on, we have no. to ask him that, Leah. I
1: guarantee. No, he wouldn't. I don't
0: think so. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. Um, and but anyway, you can enter, and then they'll, they'll, there's a giveaway four times a day. Uh, and remember, uh, it ends on Wednesday. Wednesday's your last day. Only three more days. Um, so uh, fewer sh- fewer uh, promotion days, giveaway days, than there are days shopping for Christmas. What are some of the gifts, Leah?
2: Yeah, so some of them
0: are Steph's Pizza. Yep, Steph's Pizza. Yeah. We had some Steph's food at the at the recent uh, Station Holiday Party. Man, awesome food! Oh yeah, holy cow! That yeah. place does a great job. Yeah.
2: Uh, let's see. Uh, tickets to the aquarium, the wheel. Um, yeah. You could get some News Talk STL swag. Um, tickets to Monster Jam, Disney on Ice, the City Museum. Um, a bunch of great
0: stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. Hey, did you did you notice my Newstalk STL hoodie? You see it? Yeah. See it? Mine too. We're Look. twinsies. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Great. That's so exciting. I love it. It's warm. I'm telling you we're running into a cold snap here the next, uh, next few days. That global warming. That's funny. They went from global warming to climate change because it's not always global warming everywhere. It's, it's cold as a yeah. colder than a well diggers, but Okay. All right. So uh, we want to talk about the Twitter files. The sixth uh, dump came out yesterday afternoon, evening, uh, late afternoon, and early evening. <clears throat> Matt Taibbi was the uh, one who had it this time. It's been between he and Barry Weiss, on, uh, who writes on Substack a lot, and um, uh, Michael Schellenberger, who ran for uh, for governor in California there. But uh, at any rate, a lot of a uh, lot. A lot more damning evidence of FBI um, collusion, FBI uh, direction, if you will, of uh, social media, in this case, Twitter. Um, and it's it's just so worrisome. It, I know we talk about it. We talked about it last week, Leah, but this is just, this is so so diametrically, I think, different than what people expected these platforms to be when they were launched, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Facebook. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's, it's really a shame. When you look at the mind manipulation that went on um, and the Twitter manipulation uh, in pursuit of the public manipulation um, by organized deep state elements it's really something. Uh, here's what John Kennedy said about Elon Musk, though. I think it's always fun to hear John Kennedy's talk. Senator Kennedy from Louisiana. Here here he is on Elon Musk. That's why I appreciate what Elon Musk has done so much. Uh, he's taken a very courageous stand for the First Amendment. Uh, the man... Uh, he, he they they've 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 they're beating on him like he stole Christmas, um, he, but he he's tough. He's tough as a pine knot. And and the man's got guts. He's got he, he's got oranges the size of beach balls. And and, and 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 thanks. Thanks to Elon Musk. Thanks to Elon Musk. You're right. We're we're going to have to get some new conspiracy theories because the old ones turned out all to be true. Uh, you would think he stole Christmas he's tougher than a pine knot and he's got oranges the the size of beach 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 balls balls. (laughs) (laughs) that guy I would not I would not want to face John Kennedy in court if I was an opposing attorney attorneys are tough as but man a jury trial if John Kennedy didn't have a strong case fa- on the facts, just the way he delivers the message, the guy is something else. I, and I don't know whether that's the same style he uses, but boy, he is hilarious. But Hey, that, uh, you know, Elon is things up. And, um, I think it's fair to say that every new tranche of, uh, and and new file that comes out on these Twitter files, It's more and more evidence did. And I think sort of new at one point in the White House has has admitted it. KJP's talked about it. She's referenced. uh, We're keeping an eye on this. And recently, it's they're keeping an eye on Twitter. That's what the government has turned into. Instead of the government working for you, the government now and the latest uh, dump last evening on the Twitter files clearly clearly illustrated that there was a whole army of FBI agents that who a, a department had actually started prior to the Biden administra- administration and probably independent of the knowledge of Donald Trump or anyone in his administration that was designed to to be involved in surveilling our social media posts, and then notifying Twitter that hey you got to take a look at this wink wink and that, that I mean that translated that means get it off there get the post off there get the 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 people the, the account that's posting it suspend them uh, don't let them you know shadow ban them like Dan Bongino I mean that it came out on the last I think it was number five the Twitter file number five uh, last week that. He was, you know, his, his posts were not allowed to proliferate and accelerate and trend. And this is just abhorrent because that amounts to with the, with the sway that a, a, a platform like Twitter has. And for that matter, Facebook, I mean, Jack Dorsey came clean. I mean, uh, 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 Zuckerberg came clean with uh, Joe Rogan on his podcast a couple of, a couple of months ago. When he said, yeah, the FBI warned us ahead of the Hunter Biden laptop. nothing specific, but hey, you know, there'll be some Russian disinformation coming down, you know, the pike. Strategically, that message strategically timed before they, you know, they they the Hunter Biden, which they knew what was in there, became public knowledge. And bingo, all of a sudden it was suppressed and they modified it, Zuckerberg did. At Twitter, we know what happened with the New York Post reporting on that. We know what happened with the inability to share that, people uh, sharing and wanting to share it. And so it's, it's high time that the American public talk to congressmen and women and say, enough. You've got to you've got to modify Section 230. These these platforms are either going to be true, true open platforms, uh, emulating the old fashioned public square where Your opinion, even if it's wrong, even if it's factually wrong, can be expressed. And um, because things that are are thought to be factual today, like wearing masks, you know, protect you from Omicron, (laughs) uh, turn out not to be factually true when you when you parse it out. So it's uh, it's not good and it's got to be it's got to be dealt with clearly. A reminder Paul Kurtman coming up at the 7:25 slot and at 7:45 our regular visit with Virginia Cruda will ask her opinion on hey Leah I hope she's not listening. I want to ask her opinion on baby it's cold outside. We're going to have some fun. <laughs> okay. I don't know I I don't know what she thinks of that. I don't, we're going to have to see. We'll have to see. We'll we'll have some fun with that. But one, we'll talk about Paul with Paul about some of the economic data coming out and about the later latest Twitter file. Now, in the in the other um, Trump in the other controversy um, with Elon Musk, the other day he canceled a journalist who uh, who he may have a personal vendetta about. There was a journalist who came about. Who uh, so-called journalist uh, who had had I guess retweeted, but there was some connection where uh, an account had basically done a real-time accounting of his private plane. I guess his son was on the plane, and so there was concern that um, uh, th- that there might be an attack on his son. And I think, and so that's what he called doxing. I mean, technically, doxing is if I if I doxed Leah. I would get on my Twitter account at Randy Tobler, MD, and I would say, hey, uh, if you don't like Leah competing in Olympic weightlifting events, uh, here's where she lives. Go, you know, let her know about it. That would be doxing. And if I gave out your address, right, Leah? Mm -hmm. That's what doxing is. And that's happened to prominent people where journalists have put out their, uh, you know, have have broadcast essentially or printed their, their, uh, where they live. That's not right. And in these days, with terrorists running across the southern border and, of course, with people having access to all kinds of international terrorist weapons like RPGs, uh, it's it's not beyond the realm of possibility. You dock someone and where their private plane is and you could knock a plane out of the sky. I, I, that, that's the kind of thing that can happen. And so I don't blame Elon Musk for doing that. Now, critics have said, well, wait a minute. I thought he was a free speech absolutist. Well, you know what? I say pooey on that. He's a lot closer to an absolutist than old Twitter was. And these journalists, I saw none of these journalists, or one of whom he, he suspended the accounts of, what, nine, ten of them. One of them was Keith Oberman. Boy, it doesn't get better than that. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Where were these journalists? Where have they been? When it's been proven with, the, with the, the, the revealing of the inner workings of Twitter censorship under the likes of Joel Roth, who is implicated more and more with his interactions with the FBI, the DHS, and uh, even the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, where were they when conservative accounts were being throttled down, shadow banned, in some cases suspended? Oh, my goodness, that was okay because, yeah, they were suspending ideologies and the expression of those that that they didn't agree with. But when these journalists, well, you're our First Amendment rights. Don't give me that nonsense. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. And yes, it's a private company. That was their argument then. It's a private company. And after all, that private company is defending democracy and and. And promoting the proliferation of proper evidence and proper facts and and squelching misinformation and disinformation. Well, you know what? OK, it's private price, it's private company. Elon Musk owns it. Deal with it. Well, it was a public company then. It was board controlled. But the point is, it was not a government entity. And so First Amendment rights don't apply. Uh, But I I think at this point, when we have the government colluding, as has now been proven through the deep state manipulation of Twitter and other social media platforms, I think something needs to be done. Uh, And in another development with Elon Musk and the the tamping down of journalists, selected journalists that he decides on, good for him in this case, um, it serves them right. You know, and if he were to go after a right-wing journalist who you know made some threat or did something else, uh, you know, doxed someone, I hope he does that. If the right-wing jur- so-called journalist does a doxing, I hope that Elon is an equal opportunity, um, you know, critic and 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 a and a throttler and a suspender. That's that's only right. But he 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 said basically we're we're entering in an age where there will be no journalists. A private citizen reporting on what they see is just as good as a journalist. And, you know, uh, there are some journalists uh, who have a lot of integrity still, and they honor things like uh, off the record discussions and background discussions. Uh, on the other hand, there are journalists who will not make a bombastic uh uh, uh, report without confirming something that is off the record on background. And so we'll ask Virginia about that as well, what she thinks when we talk with her. But when we come back, Paul Kurtman trying to explain what's going on in the markets. Don't take a look at your 401k before this segment. It'll it'll put you in rage. Um, and what he thinks might be happening, whether Janet Yellen is right. She wrote an op-ed in the New Wall Street Journal. Or whether, she think, whether he thinks that... Um, Things are going to look bleak as the winter progresses and the economy winds down. There are some signs of that. We'll uh, we'll dive into the details with Paul Kurtman right around the corner on the Randy Tobler Show. Hey, go and sign up for that conservative Christmas giveaway on NewStockSTL.com. Be right back. It's the
1: 24th.
2: Of December, the time when well,
0: there's only a week left till uh, Christmas. Well, till Christmas Eve. I so I, this is when I get nervous because it's I have to always go out in the you know at the last minute and because I I don't know I just think life's so busy and I may I don't think I'm the only guy that does that and I get nervous. But now this year I'm more nervous than ever because when you do that you end up paying a lot more. Mm-hmm. But I look at my. Bank account. I mean, my investment account. I look at my 401k. It's a disaster area. And I thought we'd check in with Paul Kurtman, who you hear every Saturday here on News Talk STL from noon to one on the Paul Kurtman Show. And we had the pleasure of talking as he was filling in uh, along with Nick Schroer Thursday afternoon. Sounded great, Paul. How you doing this uh, this morning?
1: Yeah, I'm doing really good, Doctor Tobler. And uh, I always like to be on with Nick. We got to work together in the legislature before we started. And then he worked together at the radio station, so he's always a fun guy to work with.
0: Yeah, I tell you, a couple of staunch conservatives, and uh, boy, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget really what your what brought you to I think local, and then ultimately statewide attention, and nationally. Then was uh, when at a was it a was it a campaign event with Claire McCaskill or a town hall? Uh, man, you. You came out of nowhere, and you just let her have it, and everyone like, who is this guy? And you know, it, you know, when you look at your resume, U.S. Marine Corps veteran, and you, you know, are a squad leader in uh, Operation Enduring Freedom, and the and the Global War on Terror, uh, you know, a, a Missouri uh, House representative, and um, and currently in the financial services industry, quite a resume. But you remember, that? was that just a magic moment when all of a sudden you couldn't take it anymore and Claire McCaskill was spewing what Claire McCaskill spews and you just couldn't take it anymore, Paul?
1: You know, I was sitting, I remember this pretty well. I was sitting down on on the front row of that huge town hall meeting. That's what it was. It was a town hall meeting and it was all about Obamacare. And they had only expected about 50 people to show up. And so they had it in this tiny room. And uh, then they had to move it down to this huge cafeteria there at Forest Park. And um, I remember there's this principle in the Declaration of Independence uh, that basically, if I'm going to paraphrase it, it says, if you have the ability to do the right thing, you have the responsibility to do the right thing. And so I was like three feet from that microphone, and I was like, I've just got to say something. And so I did. I <laughs> stood up and, and said something. And that was kind of, uh, that was the beginning of my, uh, kind of public political involvement.
0: Yeah, it was, and an, an a great involvement it has, and it's great to hear you here on on uh, our station every every noon on Saturdays. So I usually eat lunch listening to Paul on Saturdays. Um, so I was, I, I don't think I was surprised that there was a little dip in the market. I expected that, uh, you know, when, when the feds raised the interest rate a little bit uh, midweek, what, 0.5%, but then, chairman powell came out and made some pretty hawkish statements that you know uh yeah, it's gonna get it's, they're gonna continue they're not done yet and then the unemployment numbers came out and those were you know the, the employment market looks hot and then the market tanked what did it close finally was it wednesday or thursday what down almost 900 points what are americans to make of that and what in the world can we do in a generic sense i know you can't tell us hot stock tips but well you know how how do we process this Well, the first thing to
1: consider is the fact that markets are irrational. And what I mean by that is whenever anybody goes to the market and buys and sells overall, like people are not going to the marketplace and they're not making decisions with all the available information. And so usually people wind up going to the market and they're making emotional decision. Most retail investors go to the marketplace and they make emotional decisions. Should I buy or sell? If the market's going up, they feel like I don't want to miss this. So they'll jump right in and, Send it up even further, but you're right. When we see uh, when we see inflation numbers begin to cool off a little bit, and inflation's not climbing at the same rate that it was, that excited people, and so the market went up like three points just in one day. But then when the Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell says, um, you know, we might, he actually signaled. He said we're probably going to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're going to have interest rate increases, but not at the same pace as we did have. And that really excited people. But then he also said, but the target rate of interest rates is actually going to be much higher than we had previously told you, which signaled everybody this is going to continue pretty robustly longer than we had expected. And that's what really kind of frustrated people and made investors a little bit nervous because that just means that the end of this dark bearish market tunnel is just going to be a little bit longer than we expected and and not only that but jerome powell had also talked about hey we're going to try to engineer a soft landing and avoid a recession and now his language has also shifted saying you know we can't predict if we're going to have a recession maybe we will maybe we won't so he doesn't even seem to be uh, quite as concerned about looking for that soft landing as he had originally and when the chairman of the federal reserve starts talking like that and then that's just mm. going to kind of induce a little bit of a sell-off
0: so that catches the professionals attention the institutional investors is that what i'm hearing mm-hmm. i mean as well as retail yeah. investors yeah okay.
1: yeah certainly retail investors but those institutional investors that hold billions in assets um yeah. you know they want to get ahead of this too and so they also contribute in large part to sell-offs like we've seen this week yeah.
0: Talking with Paul Kurtman for the Paul Kurtman Show. You hear him here on News Talk STL every Saturday from twelve to one. Paul, if you were sitting in the Oval Office, and boy, if you want to run, I'll, I'll, I'll start the pack. Okay, I'm just telling you that. I'd love, love to see that. <laughs> um, but if you were in the Oval Office, wouldn't it behoove you to get Janet Yellen, who wrote an op-ed last week in the Wall Street Journal about things looking pretty rosy for the economic uh, future? Yeah, it's gonna, yeah, things are not as bad as everyone's saying, but that on the one hand, we've got Yellen painting a much rosier picture than most economists and most investment specialists like you are telling me, um, on the one hand, and, and you got Powell on the other hand, wouldn't it be good to get them in the office and say, Hey guys, let's get our story straight. Cause it, it sends mixed messages, doesn't it? And there's nothing more that markets, uh, uh deplore than, than uncertainty, right?
1: Yeah, it would be a good idea to get them both together because they obviously both do not see eye to eye on the future of the economy. I think it would also be a good idea to get them both together with a bunch of the CEOs of some of the Fortune 500 companies across America, because for the last several months, many of the largest companies in the country have been preparing for an incredibly rough 2023. So one of the reasons some of the employment numbers are looking okay is because, there's just not as many companies out there hiring right now. There's a lot of large companies that have laid people off and they've also scaled back um, the amount of jobs that they have already said that they're expecting to hire for. So they've, they're beginning to execute hiring freezes. And so when there's less people getting jobs, but there's also less jobs available, sometimes that kind of gives a little bit of a rosy picture Uh, to the uh, the employment market. And so I think it'd be a good idea to get those people together with people who have actually signed paychecks and put together marketing and product strategies. Janet Yellen has never had a private sector job. She's never had one. But yet she's going to make predictions on the economy. I think it's outrageous and reckless for the president of the United States or for anybody in Congress to look to her to really talk about what the economy and the jobs market's going to look like.
0: Yeah, if you think about it, I mean Barack Obama, same applied there. He didn't have any real, real private experience at all. A community organizer, right, and then a state senator. Uh, Joe Biden, he's been a he's been a professional, you know, pro- politician uh, virtually all his life, and and these are the people that are running our country, and they have no knowledge of what in the world goes on. Day to day, minute to minute, in transactions between business people and and their constituents, their, their customers, right? Whether they're wholesalers, whether they're retailers, and uh, mm-hmm. or whether they're manufacturers, it just it just doesn't make any sense. I know they say they have input. What they tend to do though is get input from academics that specialize in those fields, who themselves um often have no practical real life experience and i think that's what a lot of, a lot of us were attracted to donald trump for that reason speaking of donald trump i got to ask you paul um, and i didn't get a chance to listen to your whole show on thursday because i was uh, did my own show as i do in, in mid missouri uh, you know every every weekday afternoon um but I, this this whole the, donald trump was on at on one hand like the most Inarticulate, cheap, flimsy, flimflam, sponge wow guy, or what was that? You know, the sponge guy. Uh, on the one hand, with his major announcement selling basically memes for ninety nine dollars a piece, and then the next day he comes out with some pretty provocative thoughts about what he would do to to uh, you know uh, get cut down on government collusion with social media. Uh, did, how did you how did you react to that whole, you know, sort of 180 degree turn from the from the cheap, flimsy, you know, marketer, carny, carney guy um, to, you know, the policy guy?
1: Yeah, I'm actually a little confused by this. I think that it would be a really good idea. Now, I am not a big fan of the consultant industry, um, and I, I think Donald Trump really knows what his base wants. But if you look at some of the polling numbers, it seems like Ron DeSantis is kind of beginning to pull away from Donald Trump a little bit. And I think that a lot of people who are who love Donald Trump, like I'm definitely in this camp. I mean, he's done so much good to expose all the bad actors in government and in the media. But right now, since we all know exactly how bad things really are, we want somebody that has a very clear and precise strategy. And that's what needs to be communicated back to the Republican base and back to all all the Donald Trump supporters or former supporters. So I was yeah. left a little yeah. bit confused by it. You kind of want somebody who's just a little bit more focused. And um, I hope that he's able to pick that back up because I think even during the campaign season, he's got a lot of good that he can do uh, because I think he's going to be able to further expose, you know, all this bias in social media or all this bias in the. Uh, mainstream media, for example. But if he wants the nomination, I don't think he's going to have his, an easier road than he did, uh, you know, back in 2016. So he's just he's just going to need that focus back.
0: Yeah, his uh, his colors are fading rapidly if you look at the polling, even among uh, former supporters, I think, because they realize that it, if it really is about winning and that's where he went from a, a message of in 2016 through, I think, through the election of 2020, uh, of being a, a populist for the people, the forgotten man and man and woman, of course. Um, and and ever since that loss in 2020, uh, 20, whether you believe it or not, whether it was real or not, whether it was rigged or not, whether it was, you know, manipulated. Um, It became and it has remained since then all about Donald Trump. And I think that's been the problem. We know he's always been a pretty healthy narcissist. Well, those wait, that's an oxymoron. Uh, But he's been he's been pretty strong on that count. He rivals Barack Obama. But. He translated that initially into, you know, being about us and look what I've done for you. And the for you is what was prominent. Now it's all about Donald Trump. And it has been ever since that election, sort of like Hillary Clinton. Once they lose, they can't get over it. It happened to Al Gore and it happened to John Kerry, too.
1: Yeah, I think I think that uh, as he continues to campaign, I think the um, my prediction is that people are going to look for somebody that's very Dom, Donald Trump like. But also has his feet planted firmly on the ground, has a strategy and a good delivery and a good campaign team. I mean, when you, when you look at Ron DeSantis, I think he's the only one really that competes with Trump. I don't think we're going to see anybody from the Boehner camp or from the Bush camp or from the you know the old Carl Rove yeah. school of politics. I don't think anybody like that's going to be able to come along and really compete with either one of those two yeah. guys. I think. I think that this is the direction we're going to see the Republican Party go in general. But I think now that we've had our uh, Donald Trump in there to do as much good as he did and expose so much. Now we're looking for somebody who can probably take the reins and really just, you know, get us from point A to point B as quickly and precisely as possible.
0: Yeah, like keep the same substance, but we need a little different style. I hear you. Uh, yeah. Last thought: there's a, there's some infighting, and I think it's a healthy debate. McConnell says, "Hey, we don't have a position of strength. Let's not shut down the government and go into the House taking the leadership with that uh, that tarnish on our on our on our luster." Um, Others are saying, like McCarthy, hey, don't take away the power of the purse. I mean, we have a majority, albeit slim, but don't uh, don't bind us to spending, uh, you know, till next September. McConnell counters, hey, we're getting a 10% increase in the defense budget, which is, I think, generally supported by conservatives slash Republicans. Um, you know, where do you stand on this? Is it worth taking the risk to shut down the government and just capitulate? Or, uh, you know, do we wait and do, do they hold out and, and suffer a the, the political hit that that comes with a government shutdown, that no doubt would be put on their backs by the Dems and the media.
1: Yeah, well, here's, here's where it's bad for the Republicans. If they decide to move forward and uh, debate this whole issue after the Republicans take power, well, then the only people that are going to hate them are the Democrats. But right now, the problem is is a lot of Republicans are really upset with these Republicans in Washington, D.C. And this, I think this is the exact reason why we didn't get the red wave. People said overwhelmingly that they were going to the polls to vote on jobs, education, not education, jobs, the economy and inflation. And uh, then we didn't get our red wave. But then two days later, when inflation did cool, the market just shot straight up. Because so people are clearly voting with their pocketbook when it comes to inflation in the economy, when it comes to investing. But they're not voting for Republicans because they don't trust Republicans on those issues. And that's why we didn't get the red wave. And I think that what we saw uh, happen with McConnell making this deal, this is exactly why people don't trust Republicans on these issues. They would rather have a easier road to hoe than do the hard work and actually do the real campaigning and do the real messaging uh, to communicate Mm -hmm. why it is Republicans should be trusted more. And so, you know, when you have Republicans just throwing the ball right back in the Democrats court, just because it's an easier game and that's a problem. And I think that's why we lose votes.
0: Yeah. There is a hazard to holding the line, though, having a temporary government shutdown, taking the political hit, thinking that the the Democrats will vote for whatever the House Republicans want to do when it comes to spending. And that's I think uh, that's a there's a good debate there to be had. I I struggle with it. Um, You're right. I mean, look, the one thing we can say is. Uh, There's enough diversity of opinion in the Republicans and so much principled behavior, which I admire principles, but it ultimately uh, leads, like you said, to a ripple rather than a wave, because unlike Democrats, Republicans can't stay cohesive, have a consensus and stay on point with their messaging. They're all over the place. You got everyone from yeah. Cheney to, to Rand Paul, and the, you never get them in the same line. You're right. Hey, thanks very much, Paul. It was great to talk with you. Look forward to the show. What's happening this afternoon on your show at noon?
1: You know, me and Paul Cook are going to discuss and elaborate a little bit more on this whole dynamic between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis and exactly what it is Donald Trump's Good. up against with the way he's campaigning. So that's what we'll be talking about.
0: Sounds good. Well, we look forward to that. And uh, hey, if I don't talk to you before Christmas, have a Merry Christmas. It's great to be a brother with you in the News Talk STL family, my friend.
1: Same to you. Merry Christmas.
0: All right. Merry Christmas. Paul Kirtman there. When we come back, Virginia Cruda, we're going to ask her where she weighs in on the, uh, should we do the legend or should we do the original version of uh, Baby It's Cold Outside? And uh, more with Virginia Cruda from Daily Wire right around the corner. Stay there
2: our own wide world inside the And I think that matters, right? Bicarmel, bipartisan support was had for this uh, piece of legislation.
0: Well there is a KJP who didn't know the difference between bicameral and bicarmal. Maybe she was thinking about Christmas candy gifts for her boss. Not sure. Maybe Virginia Cruda from the Daily Wire, and of course a regular contributor here on our program, and you hear her across the airwaves here, and you read a lot of her work on NewstalkSTL.com. She joins us. Maybe you can help us figure out, Did she uh, was she shopping for Christmas candy, or does she not know the difference between bicameral and bicarmel, Virginia?
2: Uh, honestly, I think she just tripped over the word. I mean, I, I try to give them a little bit of room when they do stuff like that, because that's the kind of stuff I would do. Uh, <laughs> especially no, 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 like, no, when you're being paid no, speak, Virginia.
0: You're too what? tough on yourself. You would not do that. You would not do that. You would not say. And, by no, I, I,
2: there, not intentionally. No, but there, there are times when you trip over your own tongue. Yeah, I mean, you have to know that as somebody who speaks for a living. There are going to be times when you mispronounce something, you're looking right at it, you know the word, you know exactly how to say it, and then somehow it comes out wrong anyway. I mean, it it, it happens, and I'm not saying that's what happened to her. I'm saying that it's possible. I, I don't think she doesn't know the word. I think she either doesn't know how to properly pronounce the word or she mispronounced it. So
0: it, well, that the whole that, yeah, the whole discussion was about the Respect I don't think for Marriage Act, which she thinks
2: that it's about two two kinds of caramel. I don't think that's what she's. <laughs> I don't think she actually thinks that she's talking about that. Uh,
0: yeah, she was trying to pitch the Respect for Marriage Act and uh, as bicameral and uh, bipartisan. So, at any rate, yeah, hey, I, wanna, I want well, to, I want you to take a listen to something.
2: Did you yeah? did you see the bit about it being bipartisan? All the people who were like raving about how um other deals that were made like by the skin of their teeth, like they finally got Joe Manchin and one other Republican and they're like, "Yeah, it's bipartisan yeah. Then the then the Respect for Marriage Act passes and they're like, Well, they only got twelve Republicans. It's hardly bipartisan. Like, you were telling us <laughs> it was bipartisan when you only got one.
0: Like what's the yeah, no. people? <laughs> Well, that's hey, that's an interesting happening. We've got cinema, you know, going uh, mm-hmm. independent, though she'll caucus with the Democrats. Manchin saying, well, no, I'm still a Democrat, but you know, he did open the door for a potential future switch. Well, you got any ideas where he might be going in the future? I think if Mansion goes
2: anywhere, he'll go independent because that's really what he is. And uh, Kirsten Cinema, I, I think, I think it's a mistake to suggest that she'll caucus with Democrats. Because she wasn't caucusing with Democrats before she went independent, she wasn't caucusing with them she anybody. voted
0: with them, but she, she voted mainly with the on the democrat she side. did
2: she did vote with them, but she was not attending caucus meetings, and she was uh. she, I think her move was more of a um a reminder to democratic party leadership to say, uh, "You don't own me," and I think that Mansion is kind of going the same way.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Now you you can't take um, my vote for granted.
0: Yeah, I think he enjoys being being a power player in the U.S. Senate. I mean, he's both of them are, I think, really uh, basking in the glow of all (laughs) all of the attention they're getting, the media coverage and the fact that they really are. You know, they're they're making the biggest difference on some of these, you know, tight votes. Um, and all the rest are just you know passerby's really because it's what it's what Mansion and, and to a lesser extent Cinema decide to say. Uh, I just think I, I, do I don't think know how Mansion is
2: representing it. their states well though because I mean you, you, yeah. people talk all the time about we need to primary Mansion because he's so horrible. The Democrats do. I'm like you couldn't get another Democrat elected statewide in West Virginia. You know. But, he he actually is doing a good job of representing his state because he's reflecting what they want. And if he's doing that as a Democrat, then they don't need to, re- to elect a Republican to do it, right? Even though the state right. went for Trump and Republicans plus 20 in the last couple elections. So as long as he's doing that and he's walking that line and he's present, Because I honestly, I've seen some of the public attacks they've made on Manchin. I know the kind of voicemails he's probably getting, the kind of emails he's probably getting. This isn't something that you do if you don't believe in what you're doing. So I I wouldn't say that Manchin is just doing it for the power. I think he actually believes he's representing West Virginia, and I think he is. So the issue is then if they did get some other Democrat elected, would they do the same? Probably not. Because you'd have somebody new Who was more beholden to the party than their people But at the same time If he switched to the Republican Party Would he vote differently? Probably not Because Manchin is used to being Like he's he's used to being ostracized by his own party And I think Sinema's the same way So the idea that they would both come out as independents It wouldn't be a shock to me so if Manchin yeah. later declares a, a change in allegiance, it will be to himself and his state rather than to, or his conscience mm-hmm. and his state, and not yeah. to any party.
0: Well, there's certainly a subtext of his frustration with the progress, the progressive um, oh, dominance sure. in his party. There's no doubt about that. Hey, I wanted to talk with you because uh, it really, it really spoke to me, and and it and Jake Tapper's misdirection of his yeah. ire. Um, on his daughter's uh, misdiagnosis of appendicitis as a viral infection really struck me. Well, uh, why don't you do the story real quick? We have about two and a half minutes left, but go through the story and the way Tapper handled it.
2: Oh, um, so uh, Jake Tapper's daughter was very, very ill, and he was trying to figure out what was going on with her. She had uh, stomach uh, stomach issues, and they took her to the hospital to be evaluated because she was just miserable. And not getting any better and the doctors determined that she had a viral infection and he called the hospital administrator because he and his wife had requested an ultrasound or sonogram and the doctors had declined and said no this is a viral infection and when they finally um, when he, he contacted the administrator and they finally did do an ultrasound and they determined she had appendicitis but by the time they made the diagnosis her appendix had already burst and they had to do laparoscopic drains prior to even being able to do surgery to remove the appendix. So, it, it, and you know, I, you know, as well as I do, a ruptured appendix is something that can kill you. Uh, the septic shock that can come from having that much inf- infection, just free and floating in your abdominal cavity can kill you. So um, he was, you know, he was right to be scared, but uh, I'll let you say, you know, what you think was wrong about what uh, the way he handled it or, or what. Well, the he, way he, he wanted to. He said, he's he, not he, mad. Went, he said he's not mad at the he, doctor. He's not mad at the hospital. He's not trying to put them on the spot that he thinks that if, if we're misdiagnosing as many cases as we are, maybe there should be a different process for eliminating appendicitis
0: especially well, in kids. Well, I think, yeah, I think, and he didn't want to personally attack the doctors or, you know, go after the hospital. But it, it basically, it was, the average family would not have been able to do that. The average family may well have very lost that child. The medical community needs to rethink how they, realize. please do not say, you know what? Jake Tapper... You were the one that advocated for pulling patients away from their doctors. <laughs> and You're the one that were, was a rabid advocate for government control and manipulation and dictation of how we practice medicine. You're the one who was in favor of Obamacare and all of the electronic medical record. And instead of letting doctors become advocates and and, and uh, intervene properly for their patients, they're more allegiant to uh, the, the bureaucrats that deter- determine the rules the limiting of costs. God forbid we we do a sonogram because it may cost something, and 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 on the same token, I've not heard Jake Tapper do the right thing and going after you know the insurance companies either. So, um, any anyway, rate, I I think that's um, well, enough of that. I, I it's think, an axe I'm qualified to grind, and I think he should have grounded in the right way yeah. and been about the the system. We got about the thirty only, seconds.
2: The only thing that I would say is that. When you have the money and the influence that Jake Tapper does, I don't think, well, it might cost the insurance company more is the first thing. I don't think that's top of mind with him. He's thinking about whether or not the right diagnostic tool was used. And in his case, it wasn't. And that so that's well, going to be the direction yeah. of his attack. I understand that. And somebody who was yeah. and in... I- I don't I don't I don't know about all the right details,
0: but yeah. there are influences on physicians that are sinister, oh, sure. counterproductive, and don't help patient interest. And it has to do with money, power, and government tyranny. Hey, that'll wrap it up. Merry Christmas, Virginia. Thanks for being with you me. Too. All right. We'll be right back around the corner, guys. Lots more coming up on the Tober show.